guys, it's so good to see you. Oh, I'm, I'm a horse from singing so loud. Guys, you just slayed it. Andy, thank you. Um, and that new song, man, warfare being done in here this morning. I can, I can feel it. We are continuing through our series called Who is God? Where we're going through scripture and pulling out the things that God says that he is. We started in Genesis and we're looking at all of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And this morning we find ourselves in the wisdom literature of Psalm, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job. In Psalm, we see God the Father as one who gives wisdom. So this morning we're going to talk about the wisdom of the Father. In Proverbs, we see a lot of rules for general living, rules for living well. And then Ecclesiastes, we see that, uh, that life doesn't always go well, even when we follow all of the rules. It doesn't go like we think it will. And then in Job, even more, we, we see a person named Job, who even though he was right in the eyes of the Lord, life still did not go well for him. So what we see in Scripture are, are, are two different ways of thinking. We see the wisdom of the world... And then we see the wisdom of God the Father. And so this morning we're going to look at both. We're going to wrap our minds around both. And then we're going to talk about the discernment to, uh, to tell the difference between the two. Cool? Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6, and then we're going to pray. I memorized this when I was a little kid. If you can say it from memory, why don't you say it with me? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Would you pray with me? Father God, even this morning, Lord, as we are talking about wisdom, the wisdom of a father, you inhabit the praises of your people. And I thank you for your presence in this room as, as we have lifted high the name of Jesus. And so, God, even now, would the wisdom of a father come and speak. Speak to your children, Lord. Be kind and gentle to us like you are in a voice and in a way that we can understand. In your name we pray, amen. Guys, in high school, I had, this is a high school story, so buckle up and give me a lot of grace. But I had two really significant interests in my life. Uh, well, three, in, including my wife, Jenna, who's my high school sweetheart. But two besides that. One was horses. I really wanted to be a large animal veterinarian like no other. And I had the opportunity to work for a vet all through high school. I was a large animal vet technician, and I worked part-time in addition to my studies, and I loved it. I loved the big trucks. I loved showing up to a ranch to work on a horse and saving a day. I didn't mind the gore, really. I just loved it. I thought that's what, I was like, if I could do this the rest of my life, that would be amazing. And I also played piano. And I was competing in piano competition. I was doing pretty well. I had a gig at the Broadmoor playing special events and tea for the fancy ladies who were there. And I, I, and I was like, I, I really love this. And when it came time for graduation, there, there was this looming question of what am I going to do with my future? 
my parents were amazing. They gave me all kind of opportunities to pursue what I really loved in hopes that I could find and choose a vocation in which I was passionate about. And so, guys, I just was, I was so, I was conflicted. Because if you've been where I am, you know, graduation is drawing near and I still don't have any clarity in, into the future. And so, um, you know, I, I would go to, I'd go to the scriptures because that's what you're supposed to do. And I would, in essence, do like a word search on college. And I'm flipping through scripture. And I'm like, there are no verses on college. And then I'm, and then I'm flipping through scripture. And I'm, and I'm like, but there, there are no verses on like, like I can't, I'm like, God, I know that you speak on this. But I'm, I'm just, I'm not getting anything from this. And then I had friends and mentors who would say, well, you just need to pray about your future. And, I have, and my first reaction then, seriously, is like, I'm not an idiot. Like, I've been praying about my future since I was five years old. You know, help me not get in trouble. Help me, Lord Jesus, please help me do good on this test. And, Lord, help me not die before I get married. I had my reasons, okay. And, uh, I, was like, and I was like, I am praying about my future. I was like, and I'm still, I'm still getting nothing. So I found four universities that I thought would further my career in either of these paths were I to choose one. And I decided to let the admissions department at one of these four universities choose my future for me. So I applied to all four. And um, you know how they say when the, when the packet is thick, it's good news, and when it's thin, it's bad news. Well, they were all thick packets. And I was like, my parents were thrilled. They were like, this is amazing. Like, you got into four of your colleges that you chose, even though I got a 19 on the ACT. They were like, they're still both times. And truth, that's actually true. It's not funny, okay? Some of you guys are actually just smarter than I am, okay? And so, but I was not, but I, <laughs> is a 19 bad? Okay, it's pretty bad. But I was frustrated because I, I was like, I still have to decide. So my parents uh, were like, and they helped me kind of reason my way through it. And you're like, well, this one makes the most sense. And it's the most scholarship on this one. And so, so I chose Belmont University in Nashville, Tennessee to study music. And I felt like it was a loss on the side of, of horses. But I was like, God, oh, I'm trusting my future to you. <laughs> that, that, that was not, was that kind of funny? Okay. So then I, I was like, and my thought was like, when you choose the step to the future, like you step onto the conveyor belt of your future and then, and you just kind of go in that direction. And then, and then there are no other major decisions and all of life just kind of gets added to that. Well, no sooner had I got to Nashville, Tennessee, where I was, will, I, I realized like, this is the first of like a, of like a trillion infinity decisions. So I got to decide my meal plan. I don't know. I got to decide my dormitory situation where I'm going to live. Am I going to live on campus? Or, and I'm like, I don't, I don't know. And I, guys, I'm just over, I'm overwhelmed with information. And how in the world am I going to make this decision? Maybe this is you, where you find yourself at a crossroad and you have no idea what to do. The world would say, well, and wisdom of the world would say, well, you know, I, I, like, I personally hate this mode of making decisions. We're like, well, make a, a list of all the positives and make a list of all the negatives. And if the positives outweigh the negative, I'm like, I'm like, that doesn't feel good to me at all. 
And then the, but then there's other wisdom of the world, which you know what it is. You're thinking of it in your head right now. Because some ornery relative, and some fearful relative told you what it was. And it was like, well, that one seems the most promising. That one has the best 401k. That one pays the best. You know, and they start thinking through like, well, do what does your heart tell you to do? But what we see in scripture is like that there's another way to think where we are not supposed to trust in our own understanding. Scripture says this in the beginning of Proverbs, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. If you want to think like the, like the father who has wisdom, if you want to think like he does, it starts with one, having a relationship with him. You're in the right spot if you are interested in having a relationship with God. I believe the Holy Spirit's brought you here for a reason this morning. And maybe you're trying to reason your way through life. And this is an opportunity for you. At the end of the service, come talk to one of us today and say, I need a relationship because I want the wisdom of the world. It doesn't seem to be working. Scripture also says this, that we are supposed to hide God's word in our hearts. And that his word is, it's a light unto my feet. It's a light unto my path. That we are supposed to, we're supposed to hide his word in our hearts that we won't sin against God. Psalm 119 is full of how important scripture is for us to saturate our lives and feast on the wisdom of God. Paul sums up these verses so well, and he sums up the difference between the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God the Father in this way. Do not deceive yourselves. This is from Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 3. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. So how in the world do you know? Because sometimes the wisdom of the world actually makes sense. You know, I never forget my older brother before. He, he wanted to be a missionary. He, he got accepted to Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. And my grandparents who grew up in the Great Depression, you know, they looked at, they worked so hard to make sure that my parents had, had a good college education, had everything they want. And then the next generation later is saying like, we want to throw it all away and be a missionary. And my grandparents were like, that, that goes against one of our values. And so they would press in and be like, well, what if, how are you, you know, they just didn't have a category for that in their, so if that is what's being said here, but we are supposed to follow the way of the Lord, how do you know the difference? Henry Nouwen, the wonderful contemplative, said that the difference in the ability to decide is this word right here, discernment. And discernment, he, de he defines in this beautiful way. Discernment is a spiritual understanding and an experiential knowledge of how God is active in daily life that is acquired through disciplined spiritual practice. Discernment is a faithful living and listening to God's love and direction so that we can fulfill our individual calling and shared mission. Isn't that incredible? I want that. He wrote a, a full book called Discernment. If you're facing a crossroad right now, you, you, you should buy it. And he lists two primary ways that we discern. The first one is this. We discern in community. The wisdom of the Father is brought to us through others. See, we can't discern in a vacuum. We live in an age where we pride being alone by ourselves. You know, we buy a house and a subdivision, 
And we, and we take our cars, we drive into our driveways, and then we even lower the garage door before we step out of the car, lest our neighbor come over, you know. Guys, neighbors are inconvenient. But we live in a society now where we can order everything on Amazon, and it comes directly to our door. And when the delivery guy rings our ring doorbell, and it makes that goofy sound, and then it appears on our phone, we can look and say, oh, thank God, it's just the Amazon man. <laughs> I thought it was going to be someone I actually had to talk to. You know, we live in an environment where we seclude ourselves, and we think that we're better for it. But now one is saying that we need others. We need church where we can come together and say, hey, are we going to bounce the idea off of somebody and say, hey, are you thinking this way? Do you think this is from the Lord? We need others around us so that we can ask for advice, you know. I was thinking I had coffee with Glenn Smith the other day, and uh, he's a man of wisdom. We're sitting there. Glenn works with other pastors, and one of the reasons I want Glenn in my life is because I don't want to be one of the statistics of a pastor, of a moral failure, or someone who made a wrong decision. And so Glenn works with pastors, and he's telling a story of one of the pastors that he was working with where God gave him a vision, a vision of this, of this man, and, and the vision was that this man had a relationship, and this relationship was going to literally ruin his ministry. And so Glenn was burdened for this man and told the story of how he shared this information. And then I said, Glenn, I want that for my, I want that for, I want someone like that. And Glenn puts his arm on my, his hand on my arm across the table, and then he said this. He said, God will always warn you. You need people around you because they will warn you. And, and now one says it this way, that God will speak to you through the people who speak to you about the things of God. So you need the people in your life who can speak to you about the things of God. You understand? I'll never, I'll never forget, uh, I had a, uh, an older friend in our church. We were ministering at a church in Boulder, Colorado for many years. And, and Brad Prill was, he was real, he was one of, in my mind, really successful guys. He, you know, if you remember in the 80s, Kentucky Fried Chicken and Pepsi went through a huge slump. I don't remember what it did it. But he was on the marketing team that came up. This, uh, this is a boring story. So I won't bore you with it. But it's funny because he wrote a jingle that revolutionized how the, the Kentucky Fried Chicken culture in their stores was, was ran. And then brought, like, Kentucky Fried Chicken went right back up again, and he just rode the wave with it. And so he was not, so in my mind, and, and I just knew him. He was kind, gentle. He had gray hair, so I was like, that's the crown of the crown of wisdom for the wise, wise too, and the whole KFC thing. So I, I said, Brad, I said, I need your advice. We were struggling with, with knowing what the path and the future held for us, and I said, can I buy you coffee? So we go to a coffee shop in Boulder, and I lay out, I lay out everything. I said, Brad, Brad Prill was his name. I said, Brad, I've done this, I've done this. There's a leadership book, recommended this, and so I did this. And in my mind, I'm, I'm thinking I'm feeling pretty good about myself because I've done everything there is to do. And, uh, and then I pause, you know, waiting for him to be like, mm, good job. And he goes, he goes, and he kind of twists his face up a little bit. And I can tell he doesn't really want to say it or he's trying to figure out what to say. And he just says, he says, well, how's that working out for you? And in my mind, I was like, well, not good. That's why I took you out to coffee. So you could tell me what it is that I'm supposed to do. And so he gathers up himself again, and I could tell I was like, okay, that was just the warm-up comment. Now, now the real wisdom bomb is supposed to be dropped. And he says, 
maybe it's not supposed to work out like you think it should. And I was like, man, I paid good coffee money for that. I was like, that's not helpful at all. I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at do I choose A or do I choose B, and you didn't answer, and you didn't, you didn't help me with my decision. I at least brought my notebook with me and wrote those two things down, which is how I remember to tell them to you today. But maybe, just maybe, I didn't have eyes to see what he saw. We don't only discern in public spaces where there are people around us, in community where there's others. We also discern in just the opposite. We do discern in what Henry, Henry Nouwen describes as solitude. Guys, I know as, as, as human beings, when we're, you know, when we're by ourselves, we also don't like to be alone. I think that's what's interesting. We avoid being with others, but we also don't. And when we're alone by ourselves, Henry Nouwen says this. This is where that anger bubbles up. You know what I mean? And we, sometimes we try to avoid the pain of what comes up when we're alone. So we distract ourselves, you know. We have our devices with us at all times. At all times. So that when, when that thing comes up, oh, it's easy. We can pie the, And we say that we're being efficient with our time. Or, but really we're, stroll, we're scrolling and we're distracting ourselves from something. But what Henry Nouwen says is the necessity of being in solitude is this. We keep running away from the present moment. We try to create experiences that make our lives worthwhile. So we fill up our time to avoid the emptiness we otherwise would feel. When we are truly listening, we come to know that God is speaking to us, pointing the way, showing the direction. We simply need to learn to keep our ears open. Discernment is a life of listening to a deeper sound and marching to a different beat, a life in which we become all ears. You know, that resonates with me because of the times where I fill my schedule, where I fill my mind with things that I think I'd rather think about. But there's a call to become all ears so that we can see what's going on all around us. I love this story in 1 Kings chapter 19. I like Old Testament stories. And in this one in particular, it's about Elijah. If you have your Bible, you can open it. The story will also be on the screen. But the, the back story to this is Elijah is a prophet. Scripture said he was the last prophet of God. And he, he puts together a showdown, a competition with the prophets of Baal. And he says to the 450 prophets of Baal, you build a wood altar to your God, and I'll build a wooden altar to my God. And we'll both call down fire, and those and whoever God burn, you know, whoever's God burns up that altar is the one true God. And so the prophets of Baal build their altar, and they call down fire from, from heaven, and the altar does not burn. And then Elijah gets up, and first he douses the altar with so much water now, there's no way that this thing can burn. And he calls down fire from heaven, and the whole thing gets scorched and burned up, as well as everything around it, including the 450 prophets of Baal. And Queen Jezebel is livid, and she makes an oath to kill Elijah. And so Elijah is running for his life, and yet again finds his, himself at a place of unknown, a place of fear, and a place of crossroads, and he just said, he lays down and he wants to die. 
And so God meets him in this place of being at the end of himself, where he, he is frustrated, it's a crossroad, and what God says to him, in verse 11, you can see it on the screen, the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. He says, I'm about to show myself to you. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, this is what he did. I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. And the Lord God said to him, how's that working out for you, Elijah? (laughs) He said, go back home. Go back the way you've come. See, when, when I go to Scripture, when we go to Scripture, we start looking, we look through, we look through all the important parts. We look for God to show himself to us in the wind and the earthquake, because those are profound. Surely that's what God is in. Those defining moments of our life, the mountaintop moments of our life, surely that's when God is showing himself to us. But God reveals himself to us in a gentle whisper with himself. So when we go to scripture and we say, God, where should I move? He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. When we go to scripture and we say, God, would you provide for me? He says, he says I will provide for all of your needs. When we say, God, show me the way, he says, I'm the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except for me. Jeremiah 6.16 says this. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is. And walk in it. You'll find rest for your souls. Pastor Andrew has a, this is a shameless plug because I'm just a, really just a fan. But he has a book coming out in the fall. In the fall and it's, gonna, it's so good. And I got to read an, an advanced copy of it. I'll sign it for you if you want. And, and he has this, this, this quote about this verse. And it's this, the paradox of the crossroads is that the only way to go forward is to go backward, to return to your roots, to the wisdom you once knew, but had somehow forgotten. If you will indulge me for a second, I uh, would love to tell a story of where we have seen the wisdom of God the wisdom of a good, kind father play out in our lives that didn't make any earthly sense with the wisdom of this age. And if you've heard, if you've heard this story before, you can either memorize scripture or um, you can go get a donut if you want to. But remember I was meeting with Brad Prill in Boulder? Well, what we were entertaining was a job offer that I had gotten from a church in Minneapolis. And this church... Um, 
offered great leadership that we were very interested in, and it just seemed like the right career move for us to step into. Um, and so, but, but we were just were conflicted about it. You know, we were, we were hiding God's word in our heart, and we were seeking out advice around us. And, well, we decided to move. So we, we, I accepted the job, and we bundled up our little family, and we moved to Minneapolis, Minnesota, which you know that it's got to be a call from the Lord when you live in, like, frozen tundra. If you all have been to Minnesota before, like, there is a reason you're not there right now. Because it's, it like, it is so cold. So we're like, we know that it's you, God, because we wouldn't, if it was Hawaii, we would really have to question our motives. But this, that this has to be you. So, so we go, and guys, this, this church was a church in transition. If you've ever been part of a church in transition, you know that it's just a hard time. Um, the, the pastor of 30 years had just retired, and then the new pastor was working on bringing the staff along, figuring out which staff didn't really fit and which new staff needed to be brought in to help support the new vision of the church. And I was part of the new, like the new staff that came in. And so to, just to sum it up, it just, it just was stressful. And I wasn't like the environment of the unknown of who's in and who's out. And like, guys, it, like it just caused stress to build up in my body. And I wasn't handling it well. It got to my, it started to affect our marriage. It started to affect my health. And like our, um, our pillow talk at night, if you're married, you know what I'm talking about, where you just kind of lay there at the end of the day and you're like, what was that? <laughs> what was this day? And we would say, we literally like, we're like, did we really hear the voice of the Lord in this? And then we just would go to sleep being like, well, we haven't heard another voice. So, we're like, we're just going to, I guess this is what we're supposed to keep, where we're gonna supposed to keep at. So not long after, Jenna got pregnant. And, and I, I took that as like, oh, well, that's the answer to prayer. Like, you can't move when you're in the middle about to have a baby. Like, where's the pack and play going to go? Like, you got to make sure, you know, you got all the prenatal appointments and that. And, you, like, you can't move when when you're about to have a baby. So that means that God wants us to stay. And as soon as we found out we were pregnant, God pressed it very, uh, very clearly on Jenna's heart that it was, that this baby was a girl. And we were supposed to name this girl Sage. And so here we go. You know, life, in, life at church is so stressful. Here I am saving the world through what all this church needs. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to, you know, strap this church onto my back and I'll haul it into its healthy future. Until our world came to a screeching halt when Jenna went to a prenatal appointment and she called me. I'll never forget the phone call because she said the midwife can't find a heartbeat. And it was like this disguised terror in her voice. And the midwife said, well, she's presenting kind of strange, so why don't you go get an actual ultrasound? And then she just was using a Doppler radar. She's like, and that way we can really see. And so we load up all the kids in the car and we go. And it was a, a day just like this where the, where it's, the roads are icy and, like, it just was like, an art, it just matched the day. Like, the weather just matched, like, the dark like the dark questioning that's just seeping into our souls. And I'll never forget, you know, Jenna sitting on the table and laying down and then the, the, the ultrasound technician, poor ultrasound technicians, you know, because they're not really supposed to tell you what's going on. But they know that we're waiting on bated breath for, like, what? 
what do you see? And all she did was she took the probe and she just laid it down and she says, it doesn't look good. I'm sorry. And guys, I mean, those next few minutes of having to like, of course, Jenna just she loses it. We still got to walk out of there, you know, like we got to walk into the future still. Like we can't just say, oh, the end. And then the hardship for that for us was like, Jenna still had to deliver the baby. And guys, that's like the next, the next weeks for us. You know, you could like, you can, you can remember each day. Remember, that was the day that that happened. And like my, I can't tell you, like there's obviously the loss and the grief of like, when you feel like something gets set in motion and you know that it's certain, you know, you like start planning the dates, you know, like well, nine months from now and then after that and like you start putting that on your calendar and like so there's loss and gr- there's loss of that. But what went, in, what went on in my soul was like, was God, you have, you did not keep up your end of the bargain. You let me down. I put all of my faith, my trust, trust and my hope in you and you are not consistent. You're not trustworthy. Everything in my experience is lining like, we moved to the frozen wasteland of Minnesota and we prayed for, like, and this is how you show it to us? So we came home to Colorado Springs. We're from here. You know that by now. And, and um, we were going to spread the, the ashes of our baby sage and just figure out, like, what is life? What, like, what is, I can't go forward through this. And I remember sitting around the dinner table at Jenna's dad's house, and we're sitting there, and and he just says, he says, why don't you just come home? And in my mind, I was like, you mean we can do that? Like, that's an option? And he was like, yeah. I don't need to prove it to anybody. And so we did. I quit my job the next week, and we sold everything. We bought a camper, and we moved into it. And we parked it on my in-law's house in Peyton. I was, yeah, it's funny. And I was like, I was like, this is, what has my life become? Like, we left Boulder where everything was fine. And then the next three years unraveled this? And guys, I'm here to tell you that God started a journey for us of of healing, restoration of Showing us the of his kindness through surrounding us with great people, through us worshiping our way through our sadness and our hurt and our brokenness. And it was in those times that we realized that, you know, when, when God had said, I'm going to give you a baby and you are to name her sage, that sage literally means wisdom. And so I don't believe that it was God's will that, to take this baby from us. I don't. We live in a fallen world, and there are losses that we have that we cannot reason our way, our way through, which is why Proverbs says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not try to reason your way through it. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Guys, what Satan intends for evil, God intends for good, and he can use it. And what he might be doing in your lives, like I have seen him do countless times in my life. It's just what Brad Pearl said. Maybe it's not supposed to turn out like you think it will. So keep on. Keep on doing it. With that in our hearts, can you stand?
And this is an opportunity for us. Some of you are holding a decision. Some of you are at a crossroads right now. And this is just a timely reminder for you. Because God's working on your, on your heart. And this is an opportunity for you to hold that decision in front of you. And to keep, to keep asking God to bless it. To keep asking God to baptize this decision and make it holy. To purify your motives and purify your decision. So even in this moment, would you lift it up to him? Say, God, I don't know if I'm supposed to turn to the right or to the left. And would you hear his voice telling you, I will never leave you or forsake you? That when you stand at the crossroads, that you would remember the ancient paths, the paths that were good for you. Maybe that for you is just a path that led you to this place today. Maybe that path is a path of brokenness that's led you to a place of today. Would you remember that in your spirit? And in that, would you say, God, thank you for delivering me. You have never left me. You will never forsake me. Maybe that's the word for, for you in your crossroad. And then maybe there's some of you today who are leaning on your own understanding. Maybe some of you are reasoning your way out of the mess that you have found yourself in, out of um, a financial difficulty, out of a relationship in your family. Maybe you said, if I can just try a little harder, maybe if I can just ask a few more people, read a couple more books. This is an opportunity, an opportunity for you to confess and say, God, I have been leaning on my own understanding. And I'm sorry. What does it look like to acknowledge him and for him to make your path straight? It's just that. Would you say, God, show me you? And instead of trying to fight your way through, would you say, God, be real? Be real. In an attitude of confession, why don't you recite this with me? Most merciful God, we confess that we've sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We've not loved you with our whole heart. We've not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Scripture tells us that if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, he is faithful and just to forgive us from all unrighteousness, that if we call upon the name of the Lord, that we will be saved. And if that is you today, would you give praise? Would you just lift up, lift up your thankful hearts? Guys, I'm lifting up my thankful heart to say that the path that I have walked the path that God led us on, I would not be standing in front of you right now if it was not for his faithfulness, even in the hardship, even what seemed like loss and abandonment and him turning his back on us was him leading us with his gentle hand saying, no, come this way. I'm not done with you yet. <laughs> There's more for you. Would you trust his more for you this morning? We're gonna respond in worship and this song is a song of thankfulness. This song is a song of saying, give me eyes to see you, Jesus. Give me discernment, Jesus. Help me see you in the midst of this. And if what I want to see is not just an answer, but what I want to see is you, Jesus. I want to see you as a great God rising up before us, leading us and caring for us like a kind, wise father will do. Would you respond in worship? Give me eyes to see more of who you are. May what I behold still my anxious heart. 
Take what I have known and break it all apart. For you, my God, are greater still. And no sky contains, no doubt restrains all you are. The greatness of our God. I spent my life to know And I'm far from close to all you are The greatness of our God Give me grace to see beyond this moment To believe that there is nothing left you to take your elements in your hands this morning, friends. We have so many questions for the Lord. What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to spend my future? What are you doing, oh God, in my life? 
And I so appreciate what Colin shared this morning because it seems to me that the great, well, the answer that God gives us to all of those things is he gives us the gift of himself. And in the Gospels, something like 300 times Jesus has posed direct questions, questions about the law or the prophets, questions about this burning issue or that burning issue. And do you know that in the Gospels, he only directly answered three questions? And they're really significant questions that he answered. The first question that he answered was, what's the greatest commandment in the law? And you know his answer. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Second question, Lord, would you teach us how to pray? He says, oh, yeah, I'll answer that one. When you pray, say, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. And you know the third question is? On trial before Pontius Pilate, Pilate says to him, are you a king? And Jesus says, you have said that it is so. Three questions. What's the highest calling of a human being? To love our God and to love those around us. Second question. Could you open up a door to communion? Oh God, what does it look like for us to know our God? Jesus, would you teach us to pray? He teaches us, he leads us into relationship with God. And the third question, I'm the king over all things and I'm holding your life. Do you know those are the only things that we need to know? That we're made for love and that God calls us into fellowship and that Jesus is holding everything that is significant to us. He's holding it in the palms of his hand. He's sufficient for all things. And so we remember that here at the table. That on the night that he was betrayed, after he'd given thanks, he took the bread and he broke it. Can we break it together? And he said, take this all of you and eat. This is my body. It's broken for you. Do this whenever you eat it in remembrance of me. So Jesus, as we come to the table, we acknowledge that there is no gift that you could give us that is greater than the gift of your own flesh, your own body. God gives himself to us. And that's not just enough. That's more than enough. And so we come to the table this morning with gratitude. Friends, can we take the body of Christ together? And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, drink from this, all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for many for the remission of sins. Do it whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. We're asking anxious questions about the future. Jesus says you are forgiven and cleansed and you have a future in God, God's good world because what, have I, what, what I have done. Friends, the cup of salvation, can we take it together this morning? And let's respond with doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him. Hallowed be thy name. 
As you go from this place, lift you up your hands and receive this blessing as you go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, grace, mercy, and peace be with you. I'll invite our altar ministry team forward. If you have anything that you need prayer for, we'd love to pray with you. If you'd like to be introduced to or reintroduced to a relationship with Jesus, we'd love to lead you in that this morning. If this is your first time with us, head out to Connect Central. I'm headed that way right now. I would love to meet you, get to know you a little bit. Brothers and sisters, go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Stay warm and safe. We'll see you next Sunday.